welcome to episode 25 of the Music Plays the Band on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Koritz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I hope you all are safe and well. Well, we're back out on the road on something that resembles a tour for the first time in close to two years. We're out here doing more than just weekends right now. We're going city to city and using our bus and sleeping on it for the first time in quite a while. It's not quite normal as we still have to be really careful where we go. Uh, keep a guest free backstage and test quite often, but it still feels really good to be out here. Uh, in fact, I'm putting this episode together today from a hotel room in Florida on my day off. I was able to record my feature conversation before we hit the road, and I'm thrilled today to welcome guitarist Andy Falco from the infamous String Dusters to the show. Andy and I have never met, but this conversation was so easy and free-flowing. Uh, his knowledge of the dead is very impressive, and they have most definitely influenced his career. I'm, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this one. Also with me today is Pat Leonards of the band The Quarterly, based out of Fargo, North Dakota. Yes, there is Grateful Dead music in Fargo, North Dakota. So as always, I'm glad you're here. And before we get to the first segment, I humbly ask you to support the podcast any way you can. There's the monthly Patreon subscription, with giving levels starting as low as $5 a month. that gives you exclusive bonus content, including outtakes, expanded interviews and segments, videos and stories from the road, community hang time, and much, much more. You can also make a one-time contribution through PayPal, and a portion of all the proceeds goes to the Rex Foundation, the charity started by the Grateful Dead. You can find out about all of this and more at www.themusicplaystheband.net, and wherever you are listening to the podcast, whether it is through Pantheon or any other platform, please rate, like, and review. So let's get right to it. Here we go. The Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Clean Store, brandingandapparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs, technology-driven solutions, and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The Black Music Moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead, and today we honor B. Booze. Beatrice Booze was born in Baltimore, Maryland in 1912. Little is known about her childhood, but her career began in the 1940s as a singer in Harlem, New York. Discovered by bluesman Sammy Price, Booze was quickly signed to Decca Records and in 1942 recorded her first album. Her version of C.C. Rider Blues, previously recorded by Ma Rainey, topped the charts for more than a month and hereafter they billed her as the C.C. Rider Blues Girl. She often accompanied herself on guitar and released more tunes as a solo artist before joining a popular quartet with George Kelly and the organist Larry Johnson. Perhaps the hottest female blues singer of the era was Lil Green, and Booze recorded and charted many covers of her tunes. In the late 1940s, Booze kind of changed directions and took more of a jazz vocalist approach, and was a prominent member of the Andy Kirk Band that featured such jazz luminaries as pianist Hank Jones and the brilliant trumpeter Fats Navarro. Despite this swing influence, her recordings actually reveal more of a glimpse of oncoming rock and roll in transition from the sounds of blues, jazz, and R&B. She retired from the music industry in the early 1950s and settled in Scottsville, New York, but she did come out of retirement to record one more album with Sammy Price in 1962. B. Booze died in Scottsville, New York in 1986. While Ma Rainey originally recorded C.C. Ryder, Booze's version has a closer resemblance to the version that most people were familiar with. Uh, it was covered by many people, including Elvis, who kind of, he made it the show opener uh, in his Vegas uh, review when he went back out to Vegas. Uh, the Grateful Dead first performed it in 1979, 
It was a regular part of the repertoire in the first half of the 80s, but after 1986 it was only performed a few times, and The Dead last played it in 1992. So here is Beatrice Booz and her version of C.C. Ryder. I'd like to take a minute now and tell you about Beth Koritz. She is a psychotherapist, intuitive clarity coach, and founder of the Authenticity Academy. For the past 12 years, she has been supporting her clients to fully embody their authenticity and create the life they desire with her three-step clarity coaching program. This is your time to gain clarity, defining yourself by who you really are and not what you do, increase your confidence by activating your inner powers, and take soul-led action creating a life in alignment with your purpose, passion, and desires. If you're ready to learn more, book a free 30-minute clarity call with Beth Koritz. Visit www.yourclaritycoach.com or the sponsor page at themusicplaystheband.net. I know she's looking forward to supporting you on your journey. For today's segment of There is a Grateful Dead cover band in every town, we head out to Fargo, North Dakota to talk with Pat Leonards of The Quarterly. Okay, I am here today with Pat Leonard's of The Quarterly out of Fargo, North Dakota. How are you, man? I'm great, Rob. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Very nice to meet you. So The Quarterly, based in Fargo, I got to ask right off the top, are you called The Quarterly because you only play four times a year? Right out, four times a year. <laughs> wow, man. <laughs> yeah, <It's>... yeah. <laughs> literal. That's great. Yeah. Um, can you uh, give me a brief rundown? Give us a brief rundown on your history and how it started, how, you, how this thing came to be. So we, we have a really close music scene in uh, Fargo and we all kind of help each other out and we were all kind of in different bands. And in 2007, we decided, Hey, let's have a, let's get this going. And there was a need and we have been playing ever since four times a year for the most part, COVID kind of messed with that a bit, but yeah, we've been kind of uh, staying with that and we, you know, we, we keep it going. Since 2007, man, that's, that's a long time you've been doing this. Yeah, it, yeah. Has it been pretty much the same lineup the whole time? It is exactly the same lineup. That's not an yeah. easy feat either. Yeah. 
Um, so what's the instrumentation then in the band? Is it two drummers? You got the whole Grateful Dead lineup? Exactly. Really? Yep. Yep. That's awesome. So you play four times a year. Is it always in the same place? Uh, for the most part, it's in the aquarium downtown Fargo. It's a second uh, floor um, venue. And then about oh, seven years ago, friends of ours had a farm. And now we, we do a once a year party out there at the Bohemian Family Ramble out there. And uh, otherwise, it's been pretty slave to that. However, uh, we kind of messed around a little bit with some venues in town. But for the most part, yeah, kind of the same. That's so cool, man. Yeah. Um, do you guys cover you cover all parts of the catalog or do you steer towards specific songs and eras or is, is it anything off limits or is it anything goes? Well, originally what I wanted it to do was like make that ninth place on the tour a Fargo show that could have been because the dead never played Fargo. Right. So I would study I'd study the set lists. I would see what the runs looked like. Right. So I would formulate the set list of like what it could have been. Okay. And so that was the original concept. It's, it's awesome. straight away a little bit from then, you know, since then. But yeah, we, we try to we try to do some of that. That's really, really cool. That's a great approach to it. Right. Um, let's talk about musically. Uh, you're the guitar player, correct? Yeah. And do you all not you personally, but as a band, just in general, do you take a specific approach to interpreting and performing the music? So I feel like maybe a little more rock and roll, I suppose, but you know, that's part of the dead anyway. Um, but yeah, we, we, we're all kind of a, me, me and the other guitar player, I would suppose Josh, my other guitar player, he is definitely more Jerry than I am on the guitar end. And I'm a little more Bob uh, or a little more soul on the singing end. So yeah, it's an amalgamation a little bit. Right on. Um, you know, like you said, the, the dead never played Fargo. Right. DSO, I know, played there once back in 2010. I was there. Where you read on that? Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I was I, there, yeah. What I remember about that, I don't remember what month it was, but it was a beautiful day. I remember taking a really nice walk that morning. Yeah. And just huge blue sky, not a cloud in it. And had a great walk the morning of the show. Um, but so we've only played there once. The dead never played there. But obviously there's, there's a market for dead music there. And, and if you're doing it four times a year, it's like a, like a flagship event that your community is looking forward to. They know, I mean, I found out about you because of one of our mutual friends right. from Fargo who looks forward to that show every year um, or every quarter, I guess. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the local dead community out there? So just like how the dead music brings people together all over the country, all over the world, uh, as a microcosm of that, this, this community really, you know, we might be smaller because of the community sites in the Metro total, it's about a quarter of a million people. So it's not crazy, but it's big enough. And, but we can be ferocious and there's always been, I keep, I keep saying, Hey, you guys keep coming out. We'll keep playing. And they do. That's awesome. Is it, do you see a big chunk of the same people every quarter? Absolutely. Family. Yeah. It's a big family for sure. Yeah. But then there's, and there's new people. And then, you know, you'll bring f folks in all of a sudden that you've never met and they tell you they, they, they saw 20 shows in the dead in the eighties or something. It's, it's amazing. Right. What is it what, in your opinion? What is it about this music that creates this community and this subculture? So it's so funny. I just turned on a coworker's fiance. He goes, you know, people were talking about the dead. So I made him a, I made him a YouTube playlist of like 
my favorites. And I, I, I feel like, you know, sonically, obviously there's just this, this net that gets you, but then obviously you have these lyrics that, and there's a few writers over the time that it, it's as though they're, they're painting a canvas uh, on this, uh, this imagery that just, that just grabs you, especially if you, if you understand history and, you know, it's the, the, the lyrics of Hunter just grab you. And I feel like that's compelling and attractive to a lot of folks. So when you made that playlist for that guy, did you cover all the eras or did you go to one era? Um, so I, I was trying to go pinky in the pool, you know, and kind of gloss the, put the show beats out front as it were. So I did a little Barton hall, you know, something like that. I think if you're going to, it's, it's like, if you're going to go live, I mean, there's somebody to do, but so that late seventies area is kind of, kind of a nice, you know, intro, I think. Yeah. Right on. man. Well, I so much, so much appreciate this, Pat. I'm, it's great to know that even in these markets that are smaller and the dead never touched that the, the grateful dead is there's a community and there's a vibe and there's lovers, of the music everywhere. So I appreciate you guys playing, even if it's four times a year, which I think is really kind of cool. Yeah. And it's a it's like a benchmark for people to look forward to out there once a quarter. It's an event. An event. There you go. That's a family it. Family reunion. Yeah. And so you're probably at that point now where it's it's time for the quarterly gig. I guess we're around the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, we got a gig December 18th uh, in town here at the Hall at Fargo Brewing, uh, and we got my, my favorite bands opening. The Moody River Band. They're my my brothers in arms. They're gonna be opening the show. Right on, man. Well, keep it going, man. It's 2007, so you got it been going for a while and help keep that music alive and everybody out there appreciates it. And I appreciate you taking the time today with me, man. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Rob. I appreciate it. My pleasure. That is Pat Leonard's from the Quarterly out of Fargo, North Dakota. Take care, my friend. You too. Thanks. conversation and uh, a lot of fun and it's really cool what they're doing out there and they sound really good and that is what you're hearing right now the quarterly out of fargo north dakota if you're enjoying what you're hearing today i kindly ask you to support the podcast you have a couple different ways you can support the podcast you can become a patron with a monthly subscription for as little as five dollars a month that includes expanded video versions of all of our segments all the outtakes that don't make it onto the podcast community hang time videos from home and the road including some old, rare DSO footage, and much, much more. You can also make a one-time contribution via PayPal, so please support the cause, learn more about the podcast and our sponsors, read my blog, or contact me through our website at www.themusicplaystheband.net. And if you have the time, please like, rate, and review the podcast on whatever player you might use. Thanks for your continued support and for helping spread the word about the podcast. Our feature conversation is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. Think Grateful Sweats when it comes to holiday giving or just get a gift for yourself. Their subtle song designs will strike a chord for heads who get it, and they're stocked up on all your cold weather gear. Hoodies, beanies, and of course plenty of sweatpants to choose from, as well as other grateful gifts. Search Grateful Sweats on Etsy or get there directly from the sponsors page at my website. And right now during the holidays, you can use the coupon code THEMUSICPLAYS to save 10% off your order and receive a free pen. 
Their selection is always expanding and they really do have something for everybody. So visit Grateful Sweats today. My guest for our feature conversation today is Andy Falco from the infamous String Dusters. And like I said earlier, Andy and I have never really spoken before, but we had a great time. He's super knowledgeable about the Grateful Dead. And having yet another bluegrass artist on the program, I think it really shows how far-reaching the influence of the Grateful Dead has become. It really does cross all genres. So here you go, Andy Falco from the infamous String Dusters. Okay, hello everybody. I am here this morning with Andy Falco of the infamous String Dusters. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, man. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's nice to formally meet you. We've seen each other backstages and stuff, but haven't hung out. Yeah, always a wave and, you know, everyone's always kind of getting to or from the stage. And um, But yeah, yeah it's good. I think you guys, I'm not 100% sure, but I think you guys are going to be on the Jubilee this year in, in Memorial Day weekend. That that might be the case. Yeah, you know, I think I think you're right about that. You were you were scheduled for it two years ago when we canceled. Yeah. And then, you know, in 2020, when everybody had to cancel shit. And I think... I'm pretty sure we got most of the same lineup, including you guys. Good. I hope so. I mean, you know how it is. I'm sure it's the same for you. It's like so much stuff got canceled. So much stuff got moved, rescheduled or just, and it's like hard to remember exactly <laughs> what, you know, it's, but, but Hey, at least we're, we're coming back, right? We're yeah, all man. back out and people are, um, you know, we're, we're getting out and, and making music, you know, again. So. Yeah, I'm leaving Friday. Uh, we recorded this the day before Thanksgiving, folks. Um, I'm leaving the day after Thanksgiving to go to Florida for shows that I think this was the third rescheduled time that we're, and we're you know, we're right. finally going to get them in. They were rescheduled and canceled and rescheduled and rebooked. And right, right. It's yeah. getting there. So we're all out there again. How did you do during the pandemic? You managed to stay busy? Yeah, you know, we 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 did a we did a few records remotely. And I also did my solo record. And, you know, that was done remotely as well you know so we all in the dusters everybody kind of those who didn't have a recording setup quickly got one (laughs) and um you know we started that was the way we all live in different parts of the country so it was a great way for us to sort of stay connected creatively and you know and we did the the monroe record which actually just got nominated for grammy yesterday which we're psyched about but, uh, congratulations um, thank you thank you but we um we did that one as well and, and it's the same kind of thing you know there were bill monroe songs um it was a tribute to bill monroe and yeah you know with bluegrass you know there's a there's sort of everybody has a, a role to play you know and it's not like our normal like original music where you know, you have arrangements, you know, there's a lot of improvisational elements to it that you can really only do when you're together. You know, this music was, you know, done remotely and it was specifically music that we could do in that way where there was very specific roles to play for everybody. So so you recorded that Monroe album remotely during the pandemic and it got nominated for a Grammy. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to be together, folks, and you can still make it happen. That's well, awesome. it's always better when we're together, you know. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 just it it, it kind of kept kept us sane, you know. I mean, and I'm sure as you experienced too, you know, being home during the pandemic was there were a lot of silver linings to it as well. I mean, you know, getting time with the family that you just never normally get, just you know, and. Um, so that was just really, uh, really cool and, and everything, despite all the other, you know, horrible things that were going on. But, um, 
but yeah, it was, uh, there were a few silver linings, you know, for sure. That's the longest time my wife and I have ever spent together since we met. Yeah. And it's just, you know? it's wonderful, you know, and it's just, you know, to, to get that time, you know, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll never get it again. like no. that. You know, when uh, we leave, when we leave on Friday, it's, it's by dark star standards, it's short. It's only like 10 or 11 days, but yeah. After being home like this for so long and only doing weekends, my kids are like 11 days. Yeah. Back, back three years ago, it would have been 11 days. Oh, no problem, Daddy. We got that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. My daughter definitely feels it more now, you know, when I'm when I'm away. It's it's you know, it's harder. And and uh, you know, because we had that time together. But yeah. um how old know. are your kids? Uh well, my daughter, it, she's nine going on ten, and um, and I have one on the way coming in. Oh here. wow, man, congrats. Yeah, so I have a 10-year-old, so same thing. I have a 10-year-old and a yeah. five-year-old, so you know exactly what it's like. Um, yeah. you, you're living on Long Island now? You're back home? I, I am, yeah, and, yeah. And that's where you grew up. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about your musical journey coming up? How did, how did your musical journey manifest itself? You know, my parents, I have their record collection here, you know, because they don't have a record player anymore, so I eventually kind of took it all. They had a pretty cool record collection that was very... Uh, eclectic you know it came you know there's 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 everything from opera and a lot of classical music all the way up to like you know hendrix and the 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 doors and everything in between big beetle fans um and so i have you know i grew up with a lot of those records putting on you know beetle records and um our parents were very uh encouraged they encouraged even though they weren't musicians themselves they encouraged you know singing and and you know they always had music on in the house um and then my mother signed my older brother up first and then me when we were kids. She saw an ad in the paper. This Episcopalian church had this like this choir, this like and it was pretty intense. You know, it was like a Tuesday after school. You know, you had like the boys choir rehearsals. And then you had Thursday evening with the men in the boys choir and then Saturday morning with the boys again and then Sunday. And it was like. It was, you know, the full nine yards with like the training and the one on one vocal training and and you you get like certain I don't remember exactly how it all works, but you had different kind of medallions that you got as you completed different music training, you know, kind of. Yeah. And it, we weren't even we weren't we're not Episcopalian, you know, but but my you know, but you know, and and there was this amazing um concert that the choir master was this guy Todd Wilson and his wife at the time. You know, and he was the choir master and she was like the assistant. And, you know, it was it was amazing experience. You know, I didn't realize it until years later that that was really my musical, my formal musical training. You know, um, I just thought it was just this thing I did. And, and then I, I got as I got older, you know, we kind of got into guitar. My brother, older brother, got into guitar um, and uh, he started playing. And then I st he started showing me some guitar stuff and. Then, you know, I kind of got into middle school and I kind of felt like maybe like a little like I wasn't cool being in the choir or something. And, you know, and I was playing guitar <laughs> and I left the choir, you know, and, and then, you know, we started like a garage band. You know, my I met a kid at school, you know, then that he he hit me. up. He turned around. I never met him before. He said, I heard you play guitar. And I said, I play a little. And he's like, I play keys. We should start a band. And, and so we did. We found a a drummer who was, you know, this kid that uh, was like more of like a soccer jock than anything else, but he had a 
denim jacket with rush painted on the back. <laughs> like, well, he's got to be good if he's got rush painted on the back. <laughs> right. So, you know, we, we approached him at the bike rack, you know, and we, and we had this like trio and that's kind of, that was the beginning of it all. And it was kind of like every day after school, because this, this friend of mine lived, you know, right adjacent to the, to the middle school. And so, you know, almost every day we would go there after school and into his basement and we had a little setup. And, uh, you know, you, you know, those setups, you know, when you're a kid, when like, whenever you're in the basement, whenever you touch the pole, you get a massive shock, you know, and, um, you know, but, um, so you're you know, playing electric at that point. Yeah, it was most, it was almost all electric. You know, my brother was showing me stuff. We had acoustic guitars around the house and my first guitar, uh, which I have still, in fact, I brought it to me when I played with, uh, Phil and friends at Lockett. But I didn't use I use my Telecaster, but I still have it. It's an Ibanez Roadstar 2, which is kind of like a Strat copy that, uh, that um, you know, and uh, yeah, we played electric guitars and, and you know, and that that was kind of the beginning of it all. And, and, how, how are you learning? Are you taking lessons or is your brother teaching you or just figuring it out on your own? It's mainly like my brother kind of showing me stuff. And then, you know, from there, it was just kind of, yeah, just just kind of you know, trial and error, really. No formal <laughs> lessons and formal training um, anywhere along the way? Maybe a couple lessons. And then in, maybe in college, I might've taken like a classical course, you know, uh, wow. first semester. But, uh, but I didn't really have any real, you know, formal guitar training um, aside from, you know, just the oral training. And, you know, going to see there's, there's a really, you know, my brother was obviously a huge influence in, in, in teaching me stuff. Um, also getting me into the Grateful Dead, but more about that later. But, um, but, uh, you know, but then, you know, as I got older, you know, some of the older musicians around Long Island, and, and in particular, there was a guitar player, there is a guitar player named Donnie Salenzo, who's a, just an incredible electric player. And he, at the time, was just playing every uh, Friday night in Mineola near where I lived, uh, you know, and in Seacliff, uh, no, sorry, Seacliff on Friday night. Um, and uh and saturday night in mineola and i went and saw him play and i never heard anything like it you know this guy was just he's just an incredible guitar player and uh you know i used to go down every single friday and saturday night and just kind of watch him play and you know got to know i wanted to take lessons but he's like i don't, I don't teach lessons you know <laughs> uh, just, just we'll just hang out you know so i that's i used to just hang out you know and he was also he's also like kind of probably still is kind of like you know in an in, in, in insomniac so you know, when I was doing gigs, oftentimes, you know, at two, two o'clock in the morning, two thirty in the morning after the diner, you know, I might swing by his house and oh yeah, Donnie's up, you know, and I kind of knock on his window, you know, and he'd be watching, you know, like the Three Stooges or something, <laughs> old Les Paul, and, you know, and, and we go in and just, you know, you know, just hang and talk about, but there, you know, it was things like that, you know, experiences like that with, with musicians who, you know, I, I admired and looked up to that just, uh, you know, it's kind of like an oral tradition, you know, sort of. That's awesome. And a killer record collection from your parents probably helped too. hearing all of that. Big time, big time. Just growing up with all. And I still you know, they're right here. I mean, I, I have I still listen to a lot of these records, you know, and, and there's still a lot in there that I haven't even gotten to yet. You know, that, that I need to dive into and some of the stuff that, uh, you know, my parents were like record record. They were like the model record buyers. They'd hear something on the radio and like it. And then they'd go out and buy the record. And then learn yeah. everything else on the record and read the liner yeah. notes, just like we yeah. used to be able to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when you first heard the dead? Um, 
I'm not sure exactly when I first heard the Grateful Dead, but uh, my brother, you know, is who's four years older than me. Um, it was, I was probably around, I, I think I remember have like writing the Grateful Dead on my fifth grade notebook. Oh, the Trapper and, Keeper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, in the 80s, you know. Right. And, um, um, and it was, you know, through my, bro my brother who was getting into the grave, he was four years older than me. So I guess, you know, at that point, uh, you know, he was in whatever, you know, ninth grade or, you know, getting into the dead. And, um, and he started showing me some stuff. And, and particularly there was a, a, a tape, you know, a, a bootleg from 1983, where I guess it's Madison Square Garden, probably, where they played, they broke out St. Stephen. Mm hmm after a hiatus and i think it was might have been that you know coming out of space i think into saint stephen if i remember correctly and just like i remember my brother telling me about it and and listening to it and just hearing the excitement from the audience that you hear as they start playing saint stephen they kind of drop into it and you could hear the crowd just you know it still gives me sort of goosebumps you know when i think about it just just hearing the crowd, just the excitement of the crowd and then them doing it. Like I listened to that probably just over and over again. And it was the song, but it was also that moment, I think. And even though I didn't maybe recognize it as when I was younger, now when I look back on it, I think that's what it is. It was like feeling the community that the Grateful Dead had had, had built. And um, that's what really hit my heart, you know, I think. And, and I think it was like, yeah, I'm in. And then uh, um, it was 1986. Uh, Grateful Dead at um, the Hartford Civic Center was my first Dead show. I was 14 years old and my brother signed me out of school and threw me in the car with his friends. And we, you know, from Long Island, we went up to Hartford and that was my first Dead show. And it was, it, it was like, I re I'll never forget. We were a little bit late running in through the hallways there. And then and I could hear the crowd, you know, and he's like, come on, come on, come on. And, you know, I remember just kind of, you heard the crowd as they came on stage, he's like, we got to go in. And we kind of like went in and I remember just being like, and it was, you know, and then they, they kicked off with uh, Jack Straw. And I remember just kind of being like, you know, and it was just, that was it. I was in. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really interesting to me to hear you say that, you know, a lot of the people I talk to, there's different musical reasons that they got grabbed and, you know, they heard it and the music did this or the music did that. But you and I are very similar because for you, it was an energy thing Yeah, with that crowd. For me, very similar. I'd never seen The Grateful Dead. I knew very little. I heard a tape where the show ended with not being a drummer, especially. I heard a tape where the show ended with not fade away. Uh, they, left, they left the stage. The crowd keeps. Yeah. They right. come back and start playing it again. And I'm like, holy shit, what is this? <laughs> Someone says, that's The Grateful Dead. I'm like, no, it's not the tie-dye guys. They're like, yeah. yep, that's it. So that got me to start digging into the music, you know, and short story a week later, it was uh, April 87 and you, I'm in uh, Chicago with UIC Pavilion. I go to the show. They're like, yeah, they're going to be close by. I live in St. Louis. You want to go next week? I'm like, yeah, we get there. Show ends with not fade away. The whole crowd <laughs> does that. It goes, there you just are, like yeah. I heard, they do this every show. It's amazing. Um, and it grabbed me, but it's, it's very interesting that it can be more than just the music. It can be the energy or the, the symbiotic relationship between the crowd and the band that can, yeah. that can compel someone to enjoy this music just as much as something right. that technically or musically is happening. That's right. That's right. And I, I think that's something that, you know, I still carry through now as a, 
with our band, you know, it's, and, and as you know, you know, it's, it's the same thing with, you know, with, with all of our kind of bands in our sort of world, it's like, you know, you we're, we're, we're building sort of a community around it. And, and I think that's like a really important part of the whole thing. It's a two way street, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and I think that, uh, that, yeah, that's kind of, you know, what sort of attracted me to it. And I think, you know, musically speaking, I think, um, you know, there, there's just so much to offer, you know, in, 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 with the Grateful Dead, I mean, and, and it's what got me ultimately into, you know, from the Grateful Dead, you know, I was listening to, uh, you know, KCR or something, one of the stations low on the dial there in here in New York. And, um, and I remember hearing uh, Samson and Delilah, which I guess is like, maybe, maybe it was like Reverend Gary Davis or something. That's you know? right. Reverend Gary Davis. And, um, and I remember hearing it going, oh, how nice that this old blues guy is playing a Grateful Dead song. Really cool. <laughs> and like, I stopped myself for a minute. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> and I sort of realized in that very moment, oh my God, there's like, wait, these aren't. And that's when I started kind of going backwards and, and you know, ultimately got into you know, with the Grateful Dead. Then it was like kind of like the Almond Brothers. I got into, you know, and, and kind of got deeper into blues and uh, and that's sort of how I got more like into like roots music, you know, and 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 ultimately bluegrass. Eventually, you know, was probably through the through, the, through going backwards from from the Grateful Dead. So you hear this stuff now. You've gone to a show. You're hearing the music. Do you immediately? Are you starting to play it in your bands right away? Do you start playing Grateful Dead tunes in those bands when you're a teenager? Yeah, yeah. We were playing, um, and you know, back then we were do we were playing. Actually, we were writing songs. You know, in fact, I have a cassette somewhere that's like you know, a tape that we've made, you know, in the basement or whatever. And, and um, half of it's original. So for side A is all original stuff. Side B is cover stuff. And we, we were always, even then, like in, in eighth, ninth grade, you know, 10, we, we were like writing a lot, but we were also playing a lot of, yeah, you know, we were doing, I mean, God, the first songs we were doing anything from like the stones to, you know, all the classic rock stuff, you know, Born to be Wild, all the things that the garage bands all play. But yeah, we got into uh, doing some of the some of the Grateful Dead stuff that we could do. You know, we were we were kind of I, I don't know how, how good it necessarily sounded, but yeah, we were we were we were trying to play some of that stuff. And, you know, and, uh, you know, and then for a while, you know, I kind of like music as a musician. You know, a lot of my friends, you know, if you fast forward a little bit, a lot of my friends would go out on dead tour, you know, they would do the whole tour, they were gone, you know, I didn't really go that deep into it, I because I was playing music. And so, you know, when, when, when Grateful Dead came to town, you know, they would do like eight, nine nights at the garden or something, I might go to a couple of them, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, when they were in the area, I used to, you know, try to see as many shows as I could because i didn't realize you played electric first so i don't know if does the acoustic but now you're pretty firmly entrenched as an acoustic player does the acoustic stuff appeal to you more um you know i don't think it's i don't think it's more or less i think it's just a it's like a different thing you know um but you know with the string dusters you know when i joined the string dusters and when the string dusters first started and then you know i joined not long after they started, only a couple of years after they started, because the original guitar player was Chris Eldridge. Um, but back then, you know, we were in Nashville. We were a more traditional bluegrass band, really. But, you know, the band has a lot of, you know, history with Grateful Dead, Fish, you know, going to shows, you know, 
a few of us um, in the band have have that, you know, not to mention, you know, salmon and 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 cheese and all that stuff yonder. Right. But um, but it was kind of like when we started to really find our voice as a band, it part of that was realizing that, you know, because that's what I was saying before. What trying to say, I forgot what I was going to say before, but what I was trying to say was I kind of like got away from, you know, I had a band for years here on Long Island called the Worst Street Blues Band. And I, I played, I had sort of poached a couple guys from this band Reckoning, which was, a, which is a, uh, at the time, at like a Long Island Grateful Dead cover band, a really great cover band um, doing Grateful Dead stuff. And I went at some point for that, for my blues band, I poached their keyboard player and their, their Bobby guy who was, a great sax player actually um and you know when we would do tunes sometimes i always kind of would stay away from the grateful dead material and because we were doing like original stuff and if we were going to do a song that the grateful dead did that was a cover i wanted to always kind of do it our own way though i didn't want to do it their way you know um and um and you know and then as, as the years went on and with learning bluegrass, you know, diving deep into bluegrass, I started to try to sound more like a bluegrass player. And, you know, living in Nashville, I realized eventually that I was never going to really sound like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I wasn't born a bluegrass player, really. It was something that, and, and I started to embrace my other influences more. And I think as a band, we were doing that too. Eventually we were sort of, instead of trying to stick to this box that was expected of you as a bluegrass band, it was like, well, fuck man. Like we, we all come from this other thing. It wasn't like so much like a conscious moment. It was just over time. We just kind of started diving deeper into our influences, which obviously grateful dead was, is a huge influence on all. Of and, um, you know, and now I feel like with the string dusters, it's kind of, String Duster's music is kind of like, I do kind of incorporate a lot of the electric part of me and the acoustic part of me, you know, I'm not always playing with just like a pure acoustic tone, you know, or like the old days throwing just a mic in front of an old Martin D28. Whereas, you know, I have my pedal board is way bigger for my acoustic guitar than for my electric guitar. Um, you know, and, um, you know, and we incorporate all of that, those, those sensibilities and, and jam sensibilities and, and get out into space, outer space and, and really just trying to be free with the music when we're jamming, you know, this, this is so great. You're answering the questions before I can even ask them this. I love this, man. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I want to go to that because and we're going to jump around a little because you kind of segued there, which is great. So how do you, I mean, you play a lot of dead tunes and you guys have done shows that are all Grateful Dead sets. You know, I know you guys. Yeah. Did, and, and whether it's the String Dusters or some of your other projects. Yeah. How in, in, in the Dusters, let's stay there. You know, everybody's dead or most of the guys are dead fans or jam fans in one way or another. How do you guys decide what Grateful Dead, what Grateful Dead tunes will work for you? Um. <clears throat> I mean, do you stick to the tunes that would lend themselves to, to, to the traditional bluegrass thing? Or do you take some of the oh, jam no, vehicles no. and put your we spin do, on them? We do like, we do Terrapin, you know, the lady with the fan Terrapin, the whole thing. I mean, we do, uh, he's gone lately. We've been doing touch of gray, you know, like and, I heard a he's gone. You decided in early. Like I heard a, a he's gone actually with Phil. And we're going to talk about that in a little while. And that like on he's gone, you take the tempo way up. It's not, it's not real straight. 
but it's yeah. a little straighter than kind of the bouncy shuffle that it would have. That's so, right. So how do you uh, how do you guys approach interpreting those songs? Is it going to be let's just put a bluegrass twist or let's do our thing? I think we just kind of play it and it just comes out how it comes out. And I think like a lot of it, you know, in my mind, you know, yeah, just it's sort of we just kind of let it be. It's take its own life, I think, you know, and, um, you know, some things like we call, you know, like those like bouncy like we we call it like almost like bloopy because it's it's sort of it's bubbly you know that that bubbly kind of Grateful Dead groove you know we like that because you know hey man if we're gonna play like bluegrass you know we we will play like bluegrass tunes you know but um and and I think it sounds really cool not having drums with our instruments trying to recreate those bouncy pockets usually they the tempos are a little bit in fact we played. Um, a few months ago, the last time we were at uh, Terrapin Crossroads and Phil came up and sat in and um, he didn't have time to be there earlier. So we were just going to do and we were doing Shakedown Street, you know, which we do sort of the Shakedown group. But as a string band, I think oftentimes tempos will be a little bit faster without drums to, to make it move forward, kind of, because when you don't have drums, sometimes if you if you do like the actual tempo, it's going to feel real like, you know, logy. And so Phil came up and we're like, you know, you know, shakedown. He's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Great. You know, we played it. And then afterwards he's like, man, that was, that was the fastest shakedown I've ever played. That was really fast. Like, oh yeah. You know, I should have given you a warning, you know? Yeah. Like everything is usually like, you know, you know, maybe significantly faster than what he might be used to playing because, you know, with the string band, sometimes it just, it just lends itself better with a little bit of tempo, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, but then, you know, we do certain arrangements, like we do Jack Straw, which um, is kind of like an arrangement where we, we kind of play the verses sort of slow and more, you know, that way. And then we sort of pick up the tempo for, you know, for the, for the uh, sort of the, the little sections and then the solo sections, you know, and then you like double it up into a bluegrass groove for that. Yeah, We go like full bluegrass, which is really cool effect. And then, after the singing comes back in and then when it comes back down ding, 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 then we can get back down to the to the to the slow part again and then sing the verses again and then and then it picks up got to go to Tulsa you know it'll pick up there um as bluegrass and so sometimes we'll we'll, we'll do that sort of a thing where we'll, we'll 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 bring like a bluegrass kind of element to it what other aspects of the jam from the Grateful Dead do you all bring to the stage like segues and fuel changes tonal modulations do you go all those directions as well yeah. All directly yeah. because of the Grateful Dead. I believe so. Yeah, I, I would say so. And I think, I think, you know, a lot of people in our scene, bands in our scene, I mean, so much comes from that model. I mean, even just the touring model and the, and, and, and the, the two set model and, you know, all this stuff I think comes directly from the Grateful Dead. I mean, you know, and, um, I, 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 I would say, I, I remember one time, you know, um, I, the, I sat, I got to sit in, F Phil invited me to sit in at all good festival with further, you know, some years back. And I never played with any of those folks before. Maybe just Phil, maybe when, cause we maybe met at, um, at Terra Crossroads the first time we played there. And, um, and I remember getting up on stage and he had an amp there. I had my electric somehow for some reason, but, um, I used maybe one of Bobby's uh, spare amps or something. And we were doing, um, we did a few tunes, but 
But I remember one of them being Uncle John's band, and it kind of came to the jam. And this, this I thought was so interesting. And maybe I'm just nuts, but from my point of view, it seemed like when it came to the jam, you know, normally if we have a band, if we have somebody sit in with us or with any band I've ever sat in with, and that includes, you know, I sat in with a lot of the jam bands that are out there from Cheese to Yonder to Salmon to, you know, whatever. Um, you know, normally when the, when a jam happens, you'll get a look at some point, you know, mm -hmm. like a nod, like, okay, okay, go ahead, play, play, you know, so. I remember with, with further, it was kind of like the jam started. I'm kind of got my head up and I don't want to step on anyone's toes. And it's just kind of like the music's happening and everybody in the band kind of just is playing. They sort of have their, their head down kind of playing. And I'm kind of like looking up and I'm like wondering, like, I wonder who's, who's, who's going to go, you know? Right. No, no, no one's really going. And I'm kind of like, I wonder if am I supposed to do something? I don't know. No one's looking at me or anything. So maybe I, I might have played this like a little, you know, be careful not to step on anyone's toe. I might have played like a little lick. And then like kind of like weird sort of like echoes it with like a rhythm thing. And, and maybe somebody else then played like a little thing and then somebody else did a little thing around it. And I realized, and it, I've never experienced this. Or, and this gives me chills too when I think about it. It was like, holy fucking shit. Yeah, like, these guys, like, yeah, it's like, should you play something? Oh, yeah, if you hear something. You know, it's it, it's it's like this, it's so in the jam that it's just, it's like truly just in the moment and and reacting. And, and that was something I learned there that was like, yeah, like, and we have like the dusters, we kind of have a few types of, you know, we have two types of jams. One where there's like, maybe like, because we have a lot of soloists in the band, you know, we have, you know, so there are certain jams that somebody is a designated kind of leader of that jam and it's improvised, but that person is going to sort of steer the ship, you know. Um, and then we have other jams where they're more like this kind of a jam where it's just sort of we don't really know what's going to happen. And it's more of a open ears, just feel what's going on, take it all in and react to things in sort of real time. And those jams kind of just can go into any sort of place you know and we know where we're coming from we know where we're going but we don't really know what's going to happen in the middle there and and i think that was something also that that i sort of tap into the you know that that experience with further where it's like yeah man and i never experienced anything like that before you know I, I'm, th I'm thinking in the dusters, you know, in, in that yeah. setting, not necessarily with further or Phil and friends or any of that, but just. In yeah. I love, um, I love, I love doing the lady with the fan therapy thing. Um, I really do. I love doing that acoustic. And I, 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 that was always like probably one of my top, maybe my favorite thing to see live, you know, when I used to go see the Grateful Dead. And so I just, I really love doing that. I think there's such like a, it's just such like a, an amazing piece of music. I think that's just so fun to play. And it's really, you know, and you have, you know, the, the lady with the fan verses and everything. And then you have like a very, you know, Jerry was very much a bluegrass player. Without I mean, a doubt. And um, I didn't really connect, even though as much as I know about Old in the Way and banjo and all this stuff with Jerry and his love for bluegrass, I didn't really connect that until a few years ago and um, where it was like, 
yeah, man, you know, like shit. He, he, he plays electric guitar, like, like a bluegrass player, really a lot of the time. I mean, melodic, you know, straight up. And, and Terrapin's a great example with the lady with the fan guitar solo, which is pretty much the melody of the song. I mean, not really, you know, he's just kind of playing mostly the melody with a few little embellishments, you know, very much like a bluegrass player would. would. And I love that. And then it goes into, you know, that after that, 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 uh, that, that last sort of verse in that, and then it goes into sort of that space jam a little bit, you know, before, uh, since the end, you know, and, um, God, and then, it, you know, I just, I just love the whole shape of that. And then the way that the, then it leads into with the vocals coming back in and then going back in and then into that end jam. I mean, it's like the most majestic, Yes, majestic is such a good word for that. I mean, it's just like, and you know, in, when we played with Phil and friends at Lockin, um, we did Terrapin, we did that. And I remember, and you know, Phil was late for that show because his, there was something wrong with his plane or something. And so um, we were supposed to have rehearsals that day and it was the Dusters and they had um, John Fishman and Joe Russo on drums and uh, Paige was playing piano. Um, and Anders Osborne was also with us. And Derek and Susan sat in for a few songs. It was, it was a pretty sweet lineup, but of course, Phil. Um, and uh, so we were supposed to have this rehearsal and on the, on the grounds in the house there. And so we all arrived for the rehearsal. When we got there, they said, all right, listen, I want to tell you, Phil's not here. Season. We didn't want to tell you guys before because we didn't think anyone would show up for rehearsal. Then. <laughs> but um, but um, but Phil's not here. Um, you know, his, he's going to be here. He's on his way, but he's playing. Something's wrong with his playing. It, it, you know, whatever. He's going to be here. But um, so but I remember someone telling me, hey, Phil wanted me to tell you that with with Terrapin, you know, he wants to do it uh, string band style. And I was like, oh, uh, string bands okay what is it and he said you would know and i'm like <laughs> okay you know so i'm thinking all right so i remember going into the trailer and i was with my wife you know and i'm kind of like going like terrapin string okay playing it like bluegrass style I'm like no i can't mean that certainly you know especially with two drummers both playing and the, 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 the point playing a two beat in the back like that with those two drummers especially yeah so i'm like shit i don't know what the fuck so i'm like i don't know we will have the rehearsal but then we went to the rehearsal and, and phil wasn't there you know so so then it was like uh, all right so um and joe russo kind of like joe kind of like ran the rehearsal sort of because we had to go through these songs like let's just do them and when we got to terrapin um you know uh once again it was like oh he wants it string band style and i remember we were all kind of like, I don't know, nobody really seemed to know exactly. Well, let's just run the song as it normally is so that everybody just getting the changes right, we'll figure it out later. So so then we're waiting, we're waiting, and the set's kind of supposed to have started, but, you know, we're just kind of on standby, stage is ready to go. And then finally we get the kind of the word, you know, Phil, he's here, he's on site, you know, everybody gets to the stage. So we, we run over to that stage, and I'll never forget this either, you know, Phil, this is only a few years ago, you know, right. he shows up after that long day flying from California directly to the stage, his base, a couple of hugs. Hey man, Hey man, Hey, Hey guy, how you doing? Okay. We ready. You know, And you know how that stage kind of spins. And I'm just like in awe of him. Like, 
Okay, he's like, you know, boom, boom, boom. Okay, let, let's do it, you know. And so the stage starts turning, and he's looking at me because the, the opening song was uh, Scar Pagonias. He's looking at me to start it. He's like, go ahead, you know. I'm like, oh, right. So we 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 start Scar Pagonias, and we and we do the set. And the last thing we did was the Terrapin. Now, when it gets to that, I see him over there going string band style, string band style, you know. And and Paige is kind of like, I'm like string band style. He's like, Paige is sort of like. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm like, I don't really know. And I asked Pandolfi who's next to me too. I'm like, you know, he's like, I don't really know. I'm like, fuck man. So I just, I think I just asked Phil like, Hey man, what do you, what exactly do you mean by string band style? You know? And he goes, Oh, just, you know, just like lady with the fan. I, you know, just should be like more like airy and whatever, however he described it. And I, and I said, do you want all the riffs and everything? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Just, and it was actually really fucking cool because that version I felt like was cool because yeah, the lady with the fan stuff was like less of a, less of like the, like the drum groove and it was more kind of like symboly and airy. And then it eventually built through all those parts. And then by the time it got to inspiration, it started to get, it was like kind of more normal. And then by the time it hit that jam, when it was like more normal, it kind of created this whole head, you know, there was so much headroom to sort of ramp that whole thing up to and it was i just thought it was like so cool so that was uh, right on i want to go back to garcia for a second um yeah you were talking about we're talking about them you know coming from the bluegrass roots is that is the biggest part of his playing that you take away as an influence the melodic sensibility oh man you know yeah i i, I maybe you know it's 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 funny it's it's there's a lot I think that I take from his playing, honestly. Um, and I think, yeah, maybe, maybe to some degree, the phrasing and, and um, I, maybe the, I, I try to take the freedom that he has in his playing too, a little bit. Um, and maybe not successfully all the time, but I, I really do try to, to, to try to find that, that freedom that he seemed to, to be able to tap into. Um, and, and I think lately for me, it's really been his ability to emote, like as a singer and as a guitar player, I think as I've gotten older, that's what really hits me the hardest is, is telling a story, whether in the vocal or in the, in the playing, it's like, yeah, you got to fucking tell a story. And I think Jerry always told a story. I am not a master at that. Like Jerry was you know but that's what i really try really hard to do is try to try to connect with the, his storytelling you know in in a bluegrass setting when someone else is soloing and you're comping you know and playing rhythm in a bluegrass setting it's more of a two and four or percussive approach on the back you know because you don't have drums and so if you're soloing it's a mandolin if a mandolin or banjo soloing it's a guitar hitting right. on two and four you know essentially being a snare drum um yeah so is it, does Bob, does Bob Weir's playing as a rhythm player still have any influence on you? Uh, absolutely. Especially in the jams, you know, um, especially when you, when you get into those unknown territory jams, I'll be back with you in two weeks. Where, like and I said, until you know, then, somebody stay safe, other than me, stay healthy is, is and please stay vigilant. The, the we charge need things the to trend in the right as, direction. As so please care. I think, yeah, like Weir's, you know, I'll be back again in two weeks and helping support. I'll be I mean, back with you again in two weeks. So until then, please stay safe, stay healthy, 
you know, I think a big influence. I'll be back with and, you in two um, weeks. And, you know, I think, I think Weir is a, is an underrated guitar player. Um, actually, because I, I, I think that he, I, I remember going to see Weir and Wasman many, many years ago at Nassau Coliseum. And, um, it was so cool for me to see him just, it was just him on acoustic guitar and Wasserman. And, um, you know, and I just remember just being really just the way he was able to fill in so much information with just, you know, with, 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 with a small group like that, it was, it was very revealing of how, how important, um, a part he played, he, a role he played in, in all of that. And, and, and also I might add, and this is the ghost for fish as well, but another thing I've noticed in recent years, as I've gotten older, is that, um, you know, a lot of times we focus on that, that lead player, Garcia or Trey and fish, you know, Oh God, this, this jam is like really a man that Garcia took it over the top. Trey took it over the top. It's like, actually, when you really break it down, those guys aren't always taking it over the top. It's like the, they're letting the band sort of cook underneath it. And that's really what's like taking over top. And, and you notice like a lot of times, like, yeah, like, and, and Trey does the same thing. It's like, you know, not to say they're not responsible for, for, for a huge part of it. I'm just saying, you know, you, you just notice that they'll let the, they'll, they'll let their phrases ring out and stuff, or they'll just, or, you know, maybe like with Jerry style, sometimes he'll be kind of like more like kind of noodling around stuff, but like what he's letting happen is he's letting that, the, the, the drums and the groove and the band just sort of cook. cook sure, cook, man. Cook. And, and, and that's what propels that lead player to have it boil over. That's it. And I, I used to say, but when I played like in that blues band years ago, I used to get a lot of credit being the lead guitar player. And, you know, I, would play these long solos and stuff and people would always be like, Oh man, you know, you really took that jam over your top. And I used to say, Hey man, you're, you're, you're only as good as the band that you're playing a solo over. I mean, you can't, the, the, my part's easy. I'm just playing the, the way I look at it. I'm just kind of, there's, you know, things that you can do as, as a soloist, but like without that band cooking underneath, it doesn't, doesn't do jack shit. Just chops at that point. Right. It's just you, you, you might as well just be singing Guitar Center playing too loud through an amp. You know what I mean? Because at that point, it, it, you know, if you don't have the band that's that's that as a soloist. And I feel, um, you know, with with the string dusters, you know, everybody's like such oh, they listen. So anytime somebody's soloing, you know, everybody's just so uh, conscious of, of that, that, you know, we can as a band, you know, and that's really where the where the magic is. You know? Right. Let's uh, let's talk about the writing process, songwriting for a minute. Um, you know, a lot of the guys I talk to and a lot of the guys, a lot of the bands you've mentioned, you know, I've had Ben from Yonder and I've had Vince and all kinds of folks from from Bluegrass. I've had uh, Anders back, you know, all kinds of guys from the Bluegrass world and Larry Campbell, Teresa Williams, all kinds of different folks. But when we talk about the writing process with a lot of bands, um, they kind of approach it the way the dead did. You know, they compose and they construct the songs. And, and they let them simmer in a live setting before they take them to the studio. Is that the case with you guys? Or do you, tell, do you go to the studio and then take them to the stage? We Lately, we've been just doing it in the studio and then we take it to the stage after. And the reason why we do that mainly is because it's really fun for us to like 
instead of we used to do it where like you know a new song would come we'd, we'd sort of road test it for a while and then maybe we'd record it maybe we wouldn't um and you know things would trickle into the set list you know over time it's kind of fun to take you know 10 to 13 songs and just inject your show with like 13 new songs into the set all at sure, once. Sure, man. Right. Yeah. Um, there's something really fun about that. And we don't, it's not that we would play them all on the same night, but it's just, it's fun to all of a sudden just kind of have this group of, this new group of material that kind of puts a point on, you know, like, you know, records are still, I think, relevant, you know, even though some people might argue otherwise, I think doing a record as opposed to singles is still relevant because as artists, it's a, you're, you're marking sort of a period of your work, you know, and, and, you know, ideally what you're doing is you're evolving as, as an artist, as a band, as individuals, as writers, as singers, as players, mainly as a band though. And you're evolving from record to record. Um, so musically, I'm sure you're all contributing your ideas, but what about lyrically? Who's doing the writing? Everybody, um, everybody contributes their songs, I mean, and, and we share all of our songwriting credit because um, because of that reason, because of the process I just described, we feel that once somebody brings a song to the string dusters, like I could bring a song to the string dusters, and sometimes sometimes we, we change a lot of things sometimes uh, of somebody's song. Sometimes we don't change much at all, but you know, but there always is something that the band is doing together once we get in there and we start doing something it could be a uh, travis maybe plays a different bass line that he came up with maybe pandolfi has a little melodic idea that he came up with and we feel like that that all contributes to the song and therefore a string duster song is credited written as a string dusters but everybody writes you know i would say pandolfi um probably writes more of the instrumental stuff that we do um generally and less of the uh, of the of the lyrical stuff but you know he has also contributed to lyrics yeah you know all the, we're all in it together so for you then as a lyricist how to obviously there's an influence there but your your take your influence from your inspiration from hunter and barlow it's uh me and travis uh our, our bass player we do sometimes a duo we do duo shows sometimes and we always we always say that we play we play the music of we play the music of of, of Jerry because we do, it's a, it, like sometimes we do like a the, the acoustic side of Jerry Garcia which has just turned into like like Jerry sort of tunes so we'll but then we'll also do some of our original stuff so we'll always say we play the uh, the you know we play Jerry Garcia's music and music influence like Jerry Garcia our music you know. And, uh, you know, and it is, it's so, you know, God, it's like the, those songs, I mean, and that's the thing that, you know, people always forget. And, and I think growing up, listening to the Grateful Dead always, you always think of Grateful Dead as jam band, jams, jams, live stuff, jam, 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 you know, and that's what people sort of correlate Grateful Dead. But no, that's, it's the fucking songs. I mean, that is the fucking shit, man. That is the gold, is the songs. I mean, we'll be long gone, and those fucking songs, you know, will still be listened to. Those songs, because they're great songs, you know? And, um, and it's just, um, it's, it's, I'm ne I, it never ceases to amaze me when, you're when, you, when, you, when you listen to, 
to those songs and, and the lyrics and, 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 and the melodies and every, every part of it, I think it's just really, um, you know, something that, again, when I'm writing, I, you know, you, 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 the, the goal is to try to write something that does the same thing again for me unsuccessfully most of the time probably but 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 you know that's the goal you know that's the gold standard you know you recently you just put out a solo album and and i read an article that you or an interview that you did about that talking about how your your lyrical inspiration comes from an observational angle yeah a lot of the dead's lyrics especially hunters come more from the story song angle yeah do you can you still identify that with that though and, and write based songs based on central characters yeah yeah you know I, I i think like a lot of times i try to write about maybe something that i can especially lately especially lately probably more than ever I've, and, and the pandemic was something where i started writing in a different way you know i used to just kind of write stuff almost spontaneously as I was just practicing and then something happens and you're like, Oh, that's kind of cool. And then, Oh, that might be, you know, but with the, with the pandemic, it was more, you know, with everything that was going on and we, you know, there was a lot going on in the world, um, obviously. And, uh, having all that time, I was waking up, you know, and, and writing every day, you know, which I never did before. And I never did this where it was like, whether I had an idea or not, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write this, this time I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to make a pot of coffee and I'm going to sit down and spend time writing whatever it is. I write. If it's shit, it's shit. If it's good, it's good. It doesn't matter. But I'm going to write some stuff every single day. And some days I had, you know, two or three different songs that I was kind of like working on that were sort of leapfrogging on the days, you know, that I was kind of, um, and it gave me, you know, a, a lot of material um, at, at the end of it where I was like, wow, you know, yeah. And, 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 and in that process, yeah, I started diving a little bit deeper into like, why am I writing this song? I mean, what is this? And some songs I'd write and be like this. I'm just like making this bullshit up, you know, and there's no there's I have no connection to this lyric. This is just some something I'm writing down is like, you know, it, this, this to me was like, it felt like that's just not real. I felt like I had to write about stuff that I, that I felt this connection to, you know, because again, going back to like the way Jerry can emote, you know, you have to be able to connect to these characters or these stories or whatever the song you're, whatever you're singing about, you have to be able to find somewhere to connect with that in order to be able to, because you, you know, you, the listener, you can't bullshit the listener. Right. You know, and like they're going to know if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, if, if it's real or not, you know, I feel like, you know, for sure that so. it almost, I mean, that is a testament even more so in an example of, of Hunter, because, you know, Garcia is able to connect with all these songs, but he didn't write them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, he didn't, but the lyrically, yeah, I don't, I, I, I was thinking about that recently and I don't, honestly, I don't really know. And it was something I just said the other day that I really want to dive deeper into like, understand how that writing process between Hunter and, and, and Garcia sort of, you know, and Weir and Barlow. I'm just curious how 
what exactly their process was with that. You know, I don't really know, honestly. I can tell you a little bit that I do know because Hunter wrote a, Hunter wrote a bunch of songs for Baracko and Hunter actually wrote a song for Darkstar. And yeah. he literally writes a song and goes, here. Yeah. Here's the lyrics, go. And then with us, anyway, I can't speak for the dead, of course. And then he wants to hear it yeah. before, before and, it goes and, anywhere. And with any, like, is there any like direction musically or it's just, it's just words on the page. And, 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 and I know with, I know with Baracko and, and a lot of the stuff he wrote for uh, the dragonflies album that Baracko and Jimmy Herring did together. Yeah. Here's the papers go. And, and with the one song that he wrote for us, it was, here you go. I wrote this, see what you can do with it. That's, um, that's, 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 but that's, I mean, yeah. So you take something like, if that's the case, you know, with a ripple or, uh, you know, or a terrapin, you know, lady with the fan thing. I mean, so then Garcia theoretically is coming up with all of that. You know, it's also a different day and age where now Hunter before when, when he was still alive, could just email you some lyrics and say, here, go, you know, a little different than they were doing it, you know, sitting in a hotel yeah. room in London and looking out and writing scroll right. begonias, you know, or whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, a little bit different. Hey, man, I got to, this has been so great. I've really, really enjoyed this. But before I let you go, I do this with all my guests, just a quick lightning round. Try and answer them as quick as you can. Okay. Uh, the first one you already answered, it was Hartford 86, first show, right? Yeah. Favorite show? Favorite show, um, mean like that I've been to or, or tapes? Uh, you can go either way, man. There's no rules. Uh, I think like there was a there's a show that I listened to a lot, a, a tape that is from the Greek theater in 1985, June of 1985. And there's like a, I, I used to love listening to that particular show. I listened to that kind of like over and over and over again. There's a and there's a the second set starts with a China rider. And it's just I don't know that something about that period. There's a there's like a there's like a jerry you know can be hit or miss you know with his vocals in those times but like the uh but his playing there's something about it that just is like really i don't know gotcha it, it, it got you yeah That's yeah right. and, and the, the whole it's a soundboard and the and, you know recording and and the whole band is just you know brent is just so epic and and all of them you know but it's just yeah i i, I love that that show probably favorite one that you went to you know, it's funny. I, I would probably say, I don't know if it's my favorite show, but I, I got one time I got taper seats and I taped the show and I had this really shitty, it was at Madison Square Garden. I had this like crappy like Walkman that you could record with and some crappy mic. And I was sitting there, I was very, I was young and somebody from like by the soundboards kind of looked down and said, hey kid, do you want a board fee? And I went, no, man, I'm good with my stuff. Thank you. <laughs> and all the tapers around me were like, I'll take it. They're like, no, 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 I'm just a kid. Uh, and, um, and I said, no, no, man, I'm good. And, and the tapers were going, are you fucking idiot? You know, I'm like, no, no, I got my stuff. You know, I'll, I'll be good. You know, and they're like, okay. You know, and, uh, Sure enough, you know, when I listened to my tape, it was like, there's nothing there, of course, you know, but, uh, but I, that was a, at least a funny, it was, it was a cool experience to just, right. you know, be a <laughs> you <favorite. idiot>. yeah. <laughs> uh, studio recordings or live recordings, Grateful Dead. 
Yes. Yes. I get that. I get that answer a lot. Uh, favorite dead album. It probably would have to be, you know, Workman's Dead, American Beauty, which is kind of seems to be like all part of the same sort of thing. But yeah. Would have been a hell of a double album, those two together, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. Your Desert Island album, your favorite non-Grateful Dead album, that one that goes with you. Uh, wow. I know. If one. That's, it was, <laughs> that's non-Grateful Dead. I mean, it might be, it would probably be a Beatles, but it might be Sgt. Pepper's. Good choice. First job. Um, you know, putting papers together at a local stationery store. Favorite color. My wife and my daughter always make fun of me because I always go, I don't know, it depends on what I'm, what I'm doing for. What, for what? <laughs> I get a favorite venue to play. Oh, there, there's a few of them, but I would say probably um, Red Rocks would be high up on that list. Pretty standard answer right there, man. Yeah, I mean. Every, how can it not be, though? You know, I mean, every one of them. Yeah. You know? uh, <clears throat> best city for a day off home first car a diesel 70s volkswagen rabbit <laughs> current car uh we have a subaru impreza and i have my uh now 20 year old toyota corolla that i bring back and forth to the station still runs nice uh, book you're reading book i'm reading i'm not actually reading anything right now okay uh, any magazine subscriptions? No magazine subscriptions. Although I do get um, every year, my mother-in-law always gives like magazines to people, and she always gives me like a stack of like cool guitar magazines. So right on. And lastly, and besides being back on stage and playing, what are you most excited to have back in your life as we come out of the pandemic? Aside from playing and, and the music stuff. Um, Aside from just being on the stage. Yeah, I think just community. Community. Yeah. You know, it's, I had, like I said, I had Jason the other day and he said, what he's look, most looking forward to is, yeah, we're back on stage in the community, but we still can't have guests backstage and we're still not seeing our friends on tour, you know, and right. that missing that part of the community still just at the same time, we're so happy that we can go out and play in any capacity. Because it not only does it feed our souls, but it feeds our families. Yeah. But, but we aren't back to where we are with our friends. You know, we still no. have to. We, we're working, but we got to do it differently just to stay safe and be able to do it. Yes, it's a, it's a different thing now. Um, touring, it's you know, buses locked down, backstage locked down, and we have to because uh, in fact, I did a solo show here. I did a little solo run, and I did like a show here on Long Island at a theater. And I knew a lot of people that were there that came out. And I was getting texts from people like, hey, you know, looking forward to seeing you. You're coming, you know, like, like, and I was like, fuck, man, you know, like, you know, because it's like, you know, weird when you, you know, people you know. And so I, at the end of the show, I just thanked everybody for coming. I said, hey, and I just want to let everyone know that, you know, I got to go on tour with the Dusters this week. And I'm really, really happy that you all came and that you're all here. I'm going to see you here, but I can't really hang. Yep. Because. I'd love to see everybody, but we're just not there yet. I hope everyone understands, you know. We just played the Capitol, the Capitol Theater last weekend. And 
those were our first indoor shows since this whole thing went down. <clears throat> you know, we have tons of friends up in your area in New York and Westchester and Long Island. Yeah. And stayed in my dressing room, never saw a soul. Yeah. And it sucks, but okay. we got to do it. You know, I'll, I'll take the- that. If it gets me those four hours on stage, I'll take that. Well, that, that's what we have to do now because, you know, and it's also for our own safety, but it's also, and it's for our, our, our livelihoods because if one person goes down on tour, everything's got to stop. And, but, um, but it's also a responsibility that we have as, you know, we're bouncing around from town to town. If we're visiting this person and visiting that person, visiting everybody. And then the next day going to another city and visiting them and, you know, we could be just passing things. We have, we have a responsibility too to do what we can do, and you know, to keep ourselves safe, to keep our family safe, but also to keep our community safe. You know? For sure, man. Well, and and keep our community enjoying music. You know, at least we're able to take it out to them. And thank you guys for getting back on the road. And thank you for taking the time this morning. This has been a blast, dude. Yeah, man. Thanks. You know, I had such a great time. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. Hey, I, I, I can, you, obviously, I could sit here and talk about the Grateful Dead all fucking day long. So. <laughs> Let's do another episode down the road then, for sure. Maybe at the Jubilee, we can at the Jubilee if we if, if you end up there, we'll record one in person backstage. Dude, I would I would love that. That would be really great. Love that, that is awesome, man. Well, everybody, that's Andy Falco taking some time with us this morning. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode, and I'd like to thank Andy Falco and Pat Leonards for being here. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, Grateful Sweats, The Clean Store, and Beth Koritz at yourclarity.coach. And of course, the Pantheon Podcast Network for bringing me into their family. You can check out over 70 music-related podcasts at www.pantheonpodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider a monthly Patreon subscription that offers some great bonus content every week where you can show your love with a one-time contribution. And please remember that a portion of your contribution will go to the Rex Foundation. Get info about this and everything related to the podcast at our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. Any love is much appreciated as we try and keep the show rolling along. The Music Plays the Band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team Brothers Lazaroff here in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find out more about them at www.brotherslazaroff.com. The opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner, Dino English. I'll be back with you again in two weeks, so until then, stay healthy, stay safe, and please stay vigilant. We really need to trend things in the right direction, so please take care of yourselves, and just as importantly, think about those around you. Thanks for being here. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.